We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings, kicking off the 151st Open Championship coverage with the course preview, early picks, and research show. If you out there want to get into a draw for $2,000, one of you, I'm going to cut a check for two grand to, easy way to get into that draw, smash like button to this episode, sub to the channel. That gets you ballots into the draw. Easy stuff. You want the most ballots you can get? Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple or Spotify. Leave a five-star review. Download the show and leave your Twitter handle or email in that review after you rate it five stars and boom, 15 ballots apiece for each of those. Sub to the free newsletter, which will be coming out in bulk this week down in the description. That'll get you 10 ballots into that draw along with subbing to the channel and liking the episode. Share the show around on social media for every share that you do, be it a retweet, a Facebook share, whatever it is. That's one ballot, unlimited ballots 
can be yours in that contest. So one of you getting two grand. Playing the Listener's League on DraftKings as well. It's almost 40% full already for the Open Championship. Link is down in the description. There's over $100,000 of rake-free guaranteed money. So I suggest that you play it. And after I talk to Steve Bamford today... Then I'm going to dig into the research on FantasyNational.com. You can get yourself 20% off at FantasyNational.com by going to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo. Make it easy on yourself. Even if you just want this tournament and the Barracuda, which is going to be going on at the same time, you know, a weekly is going to be 8 bucks with that discount. So, I mean, you're leaving money on the table by not doing it. Steve Bamford is joining me for the second consecutive year. I feel like we're making this an annual thing now. Wonderful stuff. How are you, Pat? I'm doing well. I guess you said it's not sunny where you're at. It is sunny for the first time in ages today where I'm at. And now I got a lot of energy again. It's, uh, yeah, we've got to this spell of the summer. We had a glorious May, fantastic early June. And then when you get to Wimbledon time, it always starts to rain in the UK. And that's exactly what's happened. So it's not constant rain. It's showers, but they're heavy. So, um, I, I've i got a feeling we're not going to see a baked out uh, Hoylake next week. Well, that's what happened in 2014 because I do the legwork on this. I went back and looked at the weather report for 2014 when Rory ran away with it. He ended up winning by two, but he ended up going into the final round with a six-stroke lead over, I forget who it was, but Ricky and Sergio ended up two shots behind him when all was said and done. Minus 17, minus 15. Uh, It was soggy, not soggy that week, but it played soft, and the winds never really got up all that high. So what I'm seeing in the forecast right now, and if people are wondering, I'm using the Hoylake Wind Tower. There's two of them that are just very close to the course. Pick your poison on windfinder.com. And this is going to be you know, pretty far out because we're recording this a week away. But it doesn't seem like there's a ton of rain in the forecast after Sunday this week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the rain comes overnight Friday. As it stands right now, as we know, this can change on a dime two hours before. But from a week's out perspective, this is what I'm seeing. The big thing is going to be like Thursday looks like it's going to be great. You know, wind's maxing out at 15 miles per hour then we get to the weekend and it's like 25 33 35 with rain coming in so would you expect the winning score to be as low as we saw with rory in 2014 or even tiger in 2006 or will the winds really have a huge impact especially on these final closing holes which are just kind of in the flatlands wildly exposed to the wind that we could have some drama down the stretch i remember correctly pat um, I think Rory dialed, he dialed up the uh, weather gods and got it to precipitate the night before uh, the Thursday just to make that, that course nice and soggy, perfect Rory territory. Um, and he was actually, I was looking at this uh, today, he was actually 12 under through the first 36 holes. Um, he was uh, yeah 12 under, Dustin Johnson was second, minus eight. So he had a four-shot lead going into Saturday. And Fowler and Garcia were both at six under uh, with a group of others. Uh, there were six uh, six of them tied at C3. Um, the actual weather that, that year, I, I've, I've looked this up as well, it was gusting up to 30 miles an hour on the Thursday. It was also gusting up to 25 miles an hour on the Friday. So pretty significant wind, really. But I think the fact that the course was relatively soft meant that scoring was possible. I think the thing to point out this particular year is that back in 2014, that golf course was a par 72. It actually featured four par fives. They've actually changed the format this year. 
So uh, the 10th hole, which they name uh, Far, fantastic name, it's actually only a, it was a 532 yard par five in 2014. That for this year is going to be a 500 yard plus par four. And just to put that into some context in terms of what it would potentially mean for the scoring, McElroy birded that hole three of the four days. So if we're turning that easy par five into a long over 500 yard par four, um, that could do some significant damage to the winning score, I think. I'm thinking, and this is all weather dependent, and as we, as you've just said, you know, the, these things tend to crop up on, on our coast within sort of hours rather than days in terms of just the weather format. I, I'm thinking kind of 14, 15 under would potentially be the near the winning score. That would make, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I could see it being, a little, like you said, it's a par 71 right now, although the yardage really hasn't changed all that much. It's playing just a shade no. under 7,400 yards. And there has been, I mean, this when I was reading up on Royal Liverpool, because it was out of the rota for so long, and now 2006, it comes back after like 50 years, and then we have it in 2014, and we have it again. It's a course that, I mean, in 2014, it looked like the same course as 2016, but there was a lot of changes done, and this time around, there's been a lot of changes made to Hoy Lake again, whereas most of the other courses that you see in the Rota remain relatively constant over the years. And this one, they seem to adapt and make minor tweaks and even some major tweaks too uh, throughout the course of time. So some of the notable changes right now, uh, there's a new tee on 15, which is a par five, which extends the hole by 50 yards. It now plays 620 yards up from 570 as it did in 2014 and 2016. However, when I was watching the flyovers and looking at the course design of it, that it still said that you're probably best off going for it in two because the layup can just cause so many problems because the fairway dips into like 10 paces in a gully and you just might get yourself into an awful lot of trouble. Whereas if you go for the green and two you can roll it up and the bunkers surrounding that green aren't all that detrimental so we'll see if guys can get there in two depending on the wind on the day uh being 620 yards but a lot of these guys can you know bomb it out there if the wind's at their back hell rory's probably gonna hit it 400 yards off the tee and number 17 is completely new uh it's a new par three they've they've rotated the old par three by 180 degrees so it faces the opposite direction as it used to you now hit into an infinity green it's only 136 yards but if you're not you can you can land it short if you're straight but like playing to the center of that green is going to be the move because those bunkers and the fescue around it just look awful yeah don't go long yeah don't that's, go long. That, that's a definite no-no you're, you're either going to be uh in the sea or you're going to be in a whole host of uh fescue and all manner of sand and trouble um the the par 5 18th closing hole's also been extended as well that's likely to be anything up to 610 yards. They put a new tee in there. So effectively, I, th- I think yardage-wise, we're looking at an extra 100 yards over what we saw in 2014, but it's all fairly negligible. One thing to point out, just looking at that early forecast, you know, I'm using Windfinder as well. It would look like at this early stage that we will get prevailing, which they are, westerly winds, which uh, is, the, is the standard uh, wind for this golf course. Is that helpful or is that hurting? I don't know the layout of the course all that much. 
I would presume that being the prevailing wind, that that wouldn't be a, a massive hindrance. I think that's that's the wind that they've clearly designed the course around over okay. the over the uh, over time. Well, that's good news. So we're not getting any wrenches thrown into the situation right now. The only other thing I wanted to point out, course-wise, is. Uh, you're probably going to do most of your scoring on four and five. Uh, five was the easiest hole in 2014. It's a short par five. It's only 520 yards. Uh, basically, yeah. go for it in two. Try to make eagle. That's where it's going to come. And the par four is 367 yards. And guys are going to go for this green. The problem is there's OB 20 yards left of the green. So that might dial some guys back. I don't really know why they call that fifth hole. It's called long. <laughs> which is clearly a, a 520 yard par five. It's not. It's not long these days. It, that to me, Pat, is you know, if you can ask me, key features of this golf course. Six holes featured genuine in play out of bounds. Now that's not something we tend to see a huge amount of times, is it, across a PGA Tour season? So six holes with OB, sometimes left, sometimes right, but you, you, you know. If you're a particularly um, wayward driver, that's going to cause you problems. Um, also, it was uh, interesting to note, Phil Mickelson, I, I, I took a quote from him in 2014. Uh, I'll, I'll actually read it through to you as, as, as he said it. So the thing I really like about Royal Liverpool is the same thing I liked about Muirfield. Those last 20 to 30 yards short of the green, where oftentimes you have to land a golf ball, it will continue to bounce onto the putting surface if you strike it uh, properly, which is basically what he's saying there is. Those approaches to these green complexes, which are relatively flat as well, they're, they're, they're true and they actually feed balls onto the complex where a lot of these open championship venues, you get hollows and all manner of bumps that can actually take a good shot and turn that into a horrific shot just with one bounce. So I think this this course definitely rewards good shots. But it takes that kind of luck um, element away to a great to a greater extent than a lot of open championship venues. Is there anything we can take away from Rory and Tiger being the past two champions here? Because oh yeah, best player in the world wins an open championship at this course. The best players are yeah, going to be bad. yeah. The best players are going to be the favorites, so that actually makes it a lot of sense. And when you look at the crossover from, I mean, that's a pretty big gap, eight years between 2006 and 2014. But Sergio finishes inside the top ten of both of them. Uh, Adam Scott uh, had two good runs, finished inside the top ten of both of those Open Championships. But just seeing some of the other names that appeared on the leaderboard uh, throughout the time, like Tiger was first in 06, Chris DeMarco was in second. I yeah. mean, I happen to recall a Masters where that was the exact Exactly the same finish. We also had Sergio, a Masters winner up there. Els, who just, I mean, historically plays well at Open Championships, never got his green jacket, but pretty good. Uh, Angel Cabrera, a Masters champion, was inside the top 10 that year as well. Furyk finished inside the top 10, or inside the top five, both those years. Then you had Ricky, Leishman, Adam Scott, another Masters winner. Uh, Charles Schwartzel, another Masters winner inside the top 10. Are we thinking Augusta for whatever reason? I mean, I know it was such a close comp to St. Andrews last year, and we've just seen so many Masters champions do very well. Maybe it's just great golfers play well at these courses. But when I look at it, like this course doesn't seem to have anything really to do outside of being, you know, 
on the island uh, <laughs> rather than like what what do Hoylake and St Andrews have in common because I can't really see it not a great deal I mean we we, we they're by the coast uh one's in Scotland one's in uh, yeah. in England but um the thing with St Andrews is that's a very unique venue, isn't it? It's it's basically you've got fairways that are basically adjoined to two holes. They're just it's like Kapalua on on speed, you know, they're eighty to ninety yards wide. There isn't a lot of penalty off the tee. I mean, I think even Cam Smith crazily averaged something like eighty five percent of fairways hit last year, and we know with Cam, he's hardly hardly the straightest i thought i was going mad pat but you've you've hit on a great thing here in terms of augusta fowler i'm, I'm just going through the top three from 2014 ricky fowler a fifth at augusta prior to finishing uh, third here and then he's he's also finished runner up there since garcia clearly went on to win a green jacket we've got mcelroy you know we know his his record at augusta second fourth fifth fifth Tiger Woods, he hasn't got a bad record at Augusta, has he? Um, you mentioned Adam Scott twice in the top 10. Well, Adam Scott's an Augusta national winner. So is there something in the course format? Is there just the fact that great players play well at Augusta national? Not so sure. But here's another one. And this, this I don't know if this is one that you've spotted. What about Sawgrass? Because hmm. I'm seeing Tiger Woods. Now, TPC Sawgrass was never Tiger's favourite format i get that but he won there in 01 he won there in 13 so two-time winner at sawgrass mcelroy a winner at sawgrass in 19 we've got sergio a winner at sawgrass in 08 and we've got ricky fowler a winner of the players championship in 2015 and you also mentioned adam scott he's got another he's another player that's got a fantastic record at sawgrass you could also take this potentially and I know it's an I know it's an unfashionable tournament this day. It's lost its sponsor in Honda, but the Honda Classic PGA National. Tiger Woods, I think he's only ever played there once. He finished runner up. You've got McElroy, a winner at PGA National. Sergio's finished second at PGA National. And Ricky Fowler has won at PGA National, as has Adam Scott. Two particularly tricky Florida golf tests. Interesting. And Jim Furyk has one, two, three, four, five top five finishes at the players, including two runners up, even at the very late stages of his career. Yeah, didn't he finish runner up the year McElroy won? He did. Came, came with a Sunday Sunday charge, and he finished second the year that he finished fourth at in two thousand fourteen. Now I don't know about you. When I think about Sawgrass, and I know that Cameron Smith blows this to smithereens, but Cameron Smith blows most kind of trends or shapes of play uh, looks to smithereens, doesn't he? Because he was barely hitting a fairway, but was making putts from sort of forty feet on every hole. But for me, TPC Sawgrass is a golf course that's all about. It's all about accuracy off the tee and it's hitting to fairways and to positions on fairways, which pretty much the whole field are hitting to. That, to me, is kind of strategic. It's taking away a great element of just brute force and elite power off the tee, which, of course, does start to frustrate many of the elite players when they can't quite get the advantage off the tee that they usually do. So I, I'm I'm seeing something there about players 
that have played well at Sawgrass, well in the wind at PGA National on a very, very tough golf course. I know that you guys, you've been there and, and viewed it yourself over there, the Honda Classic. But it's there's something there about players that can hit the ball relatively straight off the tee, a strategic and have decent short games for when things go wrong. Because you are going to miss greens here. And, you know, you've got to have that ability to get up and down. So, so Scotty Scheffler is going to win? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good show. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Wouldn't it, be surprised. It, it seems to be setting up so well for him. Like he didn't even gain, what he gained, 0.1 strokes putting at the Players' Championship and won by five. That's how good yeah, he, he was that week. And obviously, he didn't win the Masters this year. But he did lose like eight strokes putting at the Masters and still finished inside the top ten. Just happened to win it last year. Yeah. And I mean, as as a defending champion, that performance was uh, very, very strong. As, you know, we know that the, the, the green jacket holders don't tend to defend defend very well. But this is the point, isn't it? Sawgrass, Scheffler, Tick, Augusta National, Scheffler, Tick. The other one I could almost see as well is TPC Boston, McElroy a two time McElroy a two time winner. Sergio Garcia's got a couple of top fives. Ricky Fowler's a winner. And I believe Dustin Johnson was 400 under at that tournament one year. He was. And Scotty Scheffler finished in the top five. He shot a 59 that year. Exactly. Interesting. It's and just... with all of this, all of this momentum behind Rory, you know, the fact that he missed out the US Open, the fact that he's so close to winning that major that he hasn't won for nine years, and it's going back to the place where he won last time. You just see Scotty sitting there, almost touching 10 to 1 over here in the UK, and you think it wouldn't be such a bad thing if Scotty just had a, a quiet Scottish Open and didn't do too many heroics. Well, especially if Rory get, I mean, that that's sort of the optimal situation if you want to go with Scheffler this time around would be Scheffler misses the cut or has a very poor performance at the Scottish Open and Rory's wins or comes in second or something like that. He like he is very clearly the best of the bunch when it comes down to all of the top end players because Rom is obviously taking the week off. But yeah, maybe I and people want Rory to win so badly and maybe the British books and the North American books will be a little bit off on their pricing. Sort of like you know, when I go to DraftKings Sportsbook in Canada Sometimes the odds are a little bit different on the Canadians than they are on the American books because Canadians like to bet on Canadians. So the Scheffler price in the UK might end up being better than the Scheffler price in America. Yeah, potentially. But probably I'd love to. I'd love to see something around the ten to one mark if that's at all possible. I mean, when was the last time Scotty Scheffler was ten to one? I bet him in. I didn't bet him. I used him as my one and done. But he was seventeen to one in Phoenix this year. Mm. that's when it all started it was, long yeah. it, it, was it, it, it was a it was a fair way back i was just looking at what he was for the players i've got him here noted that he's 11 to 1 for the players back in march so yeah I, I, there could be a you know just talking through on a very very basic broad brush perspective there those courses do relate very much to scotty Sheffield. Would you expect? Would you expect? Like we've seen a lot of younger players win at the Open. Although in your mind you're like, oh, Darren Clark and Ernie Els. Like that's in the past. Go back and look at the past few champions, and they've been on a bit of the younger side. Be it with Spieth or Molinari or Colin Morikawa. That and even Rory when he ended up winning in 2014 was a very young man at the time. Still pretty young, as it turns out. Uh, Cam Smith a year ago. 
And even the contenders last year, you had Rory, but Cam Young was, you know, he's pretty young still at this point, a year later. That do you think that we could see a veteran end up doing well here? Because I was trying to rack my brain about if I want to go down the list, what are the types of players? Obviously, Adam Scott is probably going to be pretty good since this is a course that he really enjoys. But what about someone like Jason Day? Good Masters record players champion having a good year it seems to have tailed off a little bit but there was a point of the season where day and ricky were kind of neck and neck as are they going to break through are they going to have their comeback day just had his a little bit earlier but now ricky's like 18 to 1 20 to 1 to win this tournament whereas day is like 60 80 to 1 whatever it might be if he can get his game back going like it always felt like an open championship would be jason days at some point yeah maybe jason does Clearly came very close at St Andrews, didn't he? Back the year Zach Johnson won twenty fifteen. Just I think he missed out on the playoff by one playoff that featured Leishman as well. You go back, um, Pat uh, Shane Lowry. He had a top ten prior to winning. Uh, man, man, uh, Francesco Molinari had a top ten at the Open prior to winning in eighteen. Speed had a top ten. Henrik Stenson had three, Zach Johnson had two. I mean, that was pretty much, it was like a steadfast trend, was it? And that's why absolutely nobody was on Colin Morikawa, who was making his Open debut and had finished something crazy like 76th the week before the Scottish Open when he won at 40-1 to 1, uh, in 2021 at Sandwich. So he, he's blown that trend. And also Cam Smith last year, I think he had one top 20 in four appearances before taking this one out on his fifth. So, yeah. Um, another experienced player. I, I know he's not Jeff Feinberg's um, fa- favourite, um, but, you know, Justin Rose. Is, is he another kind of veteran that's playing some very, very good golf that could just, you know, come and take this one out? I think there's worse bets out than than, than Justin Rose, really. I think he's 40 to 1 at the moment. 40 to 1 seems a bit shallow. Uh, I mean, I would have expected him to be up around like, and we'll see what the reset is. Yeah, DraftKings, he's currently 40 to 1. I would guess, unless he ends up having an amazing Scottish, that he closes at 60, 65, 70 when the odds get reset. Because everyone's odds kind of suck right now before the Monday. Like, they're just, if you want to bet on the open, go ahead. We're going to give you the worst odds possible. Eventually, some of these guys are going to fall down the board. Like, it just feels, it feels like... I mean, I mean, Rose is at 40. Maybe this is just sort of the UK influence right now where all the Brits are just wildly overpriced because they're... Bro- what was the last time we had a Brit win the Open Championship? Uh, it would have been Rory in 2014. When was the last time we had an Englishman win the British Oh, Open? wow. <laughs> now, now you're getting me to search into a Wikipedia Fal- territory. Faldo? Was it Faldo? Potentially, um, Darren Clark was 2011, but clearly he he was Northern Irish as well. So, oh wow, we're, we're going way back, way 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 back. It just seems like a lot of pressure. Like we just had this. I mean, it just happened at the Canadian Open. A Canadian won for the first time in 70 years yep. or whatever it was. Now the quality and caliber of the English players is much higher than the quality and the caliber of the Canadian players. However, this field is just so much stronger. Yeah, I don't know if it screams um, Tommy Fleetwood at 25 to 1 best price over here in the UK in terms of just breaking that narrative. But yeah, uh, you do find, and and it's certainly a thing with UK bookmakers, that yeah, anyone that's English or British or from the British Isles will get their legs cut from under them in terms of price for the Open. I thought because it- you just get a lot of you get a lot of you know very irregular golf bettors. If not, they only have a bet on golf at the Open 
and they'll just pick out they'll pick out pick out British players that they may have heard of and they'll have a bet on them. Do you think that like if we just looked at the very top, I think that there are five main contenders, and the odds kind of dictate that as well. It's Rory, Scotty, Rom, Brooks, and Cam Smith. Uh, and you yeah. have to put Cam Smith into the situation. I feels, and I ran into this problem, uh, what I liked at the U.S. Open about Cam Smith, and he had a very nice finish when he came in fourth, that once you told me the size of the fairways, I was like, all right, you know, Cam Smith can handle that. As you mentioned last year, hit like 85% of the fairways at St. Andrews. Accuracy seems to be a particular brand of play at this course. Famously, Tiger in 2006 didn't hit a driver the entire week. Two on. So. He hit 48 of 56 fairways in 2006. That was 85% or 86% if you round it up. Even Rory in 2014 hit 37 of 56, which was 66%. Cam Smith to me, and even when you look at when he won at Centurion last weekend, barely hit a fairway only hit 50% of greens, scrambled like a god, putted like a god. I don't think this format suits Cam Smith at all because I think the real key to this golf course, to unlocking it, is to hit the ball straight and to keep the ball in play off the, off the tee. Because what you get here is you get fairly wide fairways, but you, you then get a, a two to two and a half yard piece of semi-rough and then you are in to ankle-high, knee-high fescue. It's it's as stark as that. And that, you know, for a lot of drivers that are going to make mistakes off the tee and not have that repetitiveness in terms of straight driving, you, you could end up in some serious trouble on these holes. Looking back at 2014... Rory gained on the field, as you mentioned, in terms of accuracy. He also led the field in driving distance. That's a pretty... Yeah, 328. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, and he, well, I mean, per our strokes gained numbers, uh, custom ones on Fantasy National, he gained 181 strokes on the field in terms of driving distance. Yeah. Whereas you take a look at wow. the other end where David Howell lost 120 uh, when it comes down to yardage, uh, when we factor it out that way. But he gained on the fairways. When we take a look inside the top 20, realistically, like... Distance mattered at the very top. Long and straight mattered at the very top. Like Adam Scott was inside the top 10 in terms of driving distance, was also, I believe, inside the top 10 in terms of accuracy as well. He kind of doubled up what Rory did a little bit. So he was up around like the 90th percentile in terms of accuracy that week. But Rory, Sergio, Fowler, Furyk, and Adam Scott all gained off in terms of accuracy. So did Dubesson. So did Charles. So did McDowell. So did Lowry. So did Robert Carlson and Robert Moore or Ryan Moore, which you would expect. Francesco Molinari came 15th. He gained a bunch. David Howell, despite losing all that distance, still came in 15th because he hit so many fairways. Keegan and Kirk were up there. And when you take a look at these guys that I just mentioned, both Molinari's, McDowell, Dubesson, uh, Carlson, Ryan Moore, Stephen Gallagher, David Howell, George Kotsia, they all lost in terms of distance. It doesn't seem like distance means all that much at this course unless you are absolutely bombing it dead straight. I think it's a course that just rewards straight driving, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you have to be, you know, the longest, but clearly, you know, long and straight tends to do well everywhere, doesn't it? I'm surprised Victor de Buisson was actually turning up for tournaments back then. You know, these days, he tends to withdraw and go fishing at uh, most events. 
He's 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 an enigma, isn't he, Mister De Bruyson? Again, though, you, you're mentioning names there. I mean, Francesco Molinari, he's got a decent record at Sawgrass, hasn't he? There's a lot of there's a lot of carryover between Sawgrass and here, just in terms of that ability to be able to drive the ball straight and strategic and repetitive, you know, repetitively, repetitively off the tee, and not have huge misses. Maybe a decent statistic would be to look at just, you know, just to have a look at that miss fairway statistic that we can get on the PGA tour, you know, people, when they miss, how far do they miss by? I think that that could tell a real story for this place. I I think that makes a lot of sense because like when you you want drivers with very small misses, (laughs) when you start that, I mean, now you're just talking about Colin Morikawa again. (laughs) Yes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Here you go. This, this one will get you excited again for, for Colin Morocco. I know I know he's one of your favorites. Just go through go, going through the trends here of, of recent winners. This is something I, I picked out today. If we go back to 
the last three winners have all played either the Scottish Open or, in the case of Lowry, the Irish Open. So there's something potentially to look at. Uh, an appearance this side of the Atlantic isn't a bad thing. Okay, go back to Molinari. Molinari didn't play Irish Open, didn't play Scottish Open. He came directly from the John Deere Classic. He'd finished second. And the outing before that, he'd won at TPC Potomac. So he was in red hot form. Jordan Spieth, the year before that, didn't play Scottish Open. Won the Travellers on his previous outing. Henrik Stenson, he played the Scottish Open. He was 13th. The tournament before that, he won the BMW International. And we go even back to Zach Johnson, 2015. I believe he was something crazy, like 110 to 1. Even you might have got a bit of 125 to 1 with a couple of bookmakers over here pre-event. Because we were all talking about St Andrews and it was a bomber's golf course. Zach Johnson wins. He'd finished third at the John Deere Classic. Caught the overnight plane across to Scotland. Sixth at the Travellers. That was his form in. So... To me, it's kind of saying you either want to be having a start here at the Scottish Open this week or don't play the Scottish Open, but you need to have played a tournament between the US Open and this and done very well in it. And Colin Morikawa finished second, of course, to Ricky Fowler at the Rocket Mortgage a couple of weeks ago. So that kind of narrative and that kind of golf course where he isn't the longest, but by God, he's one of the straightest, certainly plays into Colin Morikawa's wheelhouse. And even the year that he won, he had the win at concession earlier in the year in Florida. So it seems yeah. like we're looking at super hot form coming in, or at least a victory in the calendar year. I mean, Cam Smith had won at Kapalua, I believe it was. Did he win the yeah. Players' Championship as well last year? I can't even remember. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, He had two wins, yeah. So it's funny that we've gone this entire conversation. Like we can talk about Brooks. Uh, Brooks actually had a pretty decent performance here last time in 2014. And that was really before the Brooks explosion. So, you know, that Brooks long and straight. And we know that, you know, between the challenge tour, Euro tour, that Brooks has experience on a lot of these courses, which a lot of the American players do not. And then you just have John Rahm hanging out. <laughs> He's in Ireland, isn't he? Practicing. I don't know. That came out on Twitter this morning. I don't know what he's up to, but he hasn't played well, like really well in a long time since the Masters. No, he hasn't. He's, um, he's I think he's playing over at Ballygiffin over in Ireland, just getting some Lynx golf experience over there for, over the next couple of days. So clearly taking this seriously. But yeah, not in the best of form. He seems to be having this uh, green jacket hangover like a lot of green jacket winners actually have. Uh, it seems to have hit Rambo. I, I, don't... I don't know about Brooks. Someone said before, I mean, I was all over Brooks. I was on him at the PGA Championship he won. I was all over him for the US Open. And then I saw something on Twitter from some eminent person saying, the thing with Brooks is he needs to have played the week before a major championship. And that's when he does best. He doesn't like coming into a major with a gap week in between. And he didn't have an outing the week before the US Open and didn't play overly well. And I saw, a you know, you just think to yourself, you know, is Brooks, I would expect Brooks turns up on Tuesday, has a look at nine holes and says he's ready to go. I, I don't know if that's going to translate to an excellent Brooks performance at Hoylake. Not sure. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Then you have like the Dustins, the Brysons of the world. I mean, Brysons finished well with the players, never really 
never really done well as a pro at the at Augusta. Patrick Reed is someone who's done really well at the Masters that if the wind kicks up in this turn, that's the thing. Like when we talk about Cam Young and we talk about some of these other guys, if we monitor the wind and it just becomes fast, firm, and super windy all the time, I feel like it does give yeah. life to the Cam Smiths of the world, although the price is just kind of beaten out of it. And then you have yeah. the guys like Patrick Reed who are just inevitably going to be like 100 to 1 by the time this goes off. And it's like, oh, the, the winning score is going to be minus 8 and you need to be able to chip and putt and then it's Patrick Reed time I think firmer conditions will be a real leveler it will bring far more into the equation guys that can literally scramble and you know just have that fantastic short game and can kind of manage themselves around because everyone in that case is going to be missing missing a, a number of fairways but more likely missing a lot of greens because these aren't the biggest targets and they do have some quite serious, you know, defence around them in terms of thick rough, fescue, sand, bunkers, all, all manner of sort of natural hazards as well. So I think that does bring scramblers into play if we don't get a huge amount of rain between now and the actual tournament itself and pretty strong 20, 25 mile an hour gusting winds or maybe even stronger, if, you know, if that does actually come to fruition. But as, as we said at the top of the show, who knows? We certainly don't know at this point. Of the sort of next tier down, I'm, when I'm trying to rack my brain, Hatton seems to have the best form, especially in larger, either national opens, major championships, whatever it may be. I don't love his price that he's going no. off right now. 28 actually does seem kind of fair, considering Tommy Fleetwood is 25 to 1. And if you put them next to each other, I can tell you who's going to get my money between Tommy and Tyrrell Hatton at this point. Yeah, I can, I can say that. There's another trend I've got here that, that doesn't help Tyrrell Hatton, potentially. If you go back to Henrik Stenson in 2015, all Open Championship winners had finished in the top 11 on one of their three previous major outings. So if we work that through this year, clearly US Open, PGA Championship, the Masters. Here's a list of players that haven't finished, a list of elite players. I'm not going to bore you to tears. Here's a list of elite players that have not finished in the top 11 of the three majors so far this year. Max Homer. Surprise, surprise. Tony Finau. Keegan Bradley. Tyrrell Hatton. Sam Burns. Justin Thomas. Sung Jae Im. Jason Day, who you mentioned earlier. Brian Harmon. Shane Lowry. Hideki Matsuama. So if we're looking for winners rather than each way, you know, each way places. If the current trend continues, those guys theoretically can't win the can't win the tournament next week. What would be a but yeah, Hatton, Hatton in general is always a good play by the coast, isn't he? Yeah. That, that's obvious. Yeah, like Lynx Golf, get him back over there. And he's having a great season. It's funny that he doesn't have the yeah. high finishes in majors, but when you look at elevated events in the players' championship, he's coming to like the top five of all of them. Why do you think that is, Pat? Do you, do you just think it's that on-edge mental capacity that he's got where, you know, at majors he just seems to, to frazzle, <laughs> just seems to completely lose it? I think that he is more comfortable at shorter courses. Although distance isn't really a problem for him, I think when he feels the need that he really needs to bomb it off the tee, he starts getting himself in a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's a decent angle. So when you like when I you take a look that. when you take a look at like where he's played really well this year, obviously the uh, the Canadian Open wasn't a 
bombers track. It was actually pretty short, and it demanded accuracy off the tee. He comes in third place, and he only really had two good rounds out of the four of that tournament. You know, the Byron Nelson, he finished inside the top five. Wells Fargo was a bit of a longer track at an elevated event, but we've seen shorter hitters and precision hitters play there pretty well. He yeah. comes in third. The players, he finishes runner-up. That's another one where it's going to be you know a pretty short track. You need to be able to keep it, keep the ball where you want it more than distance. I would argue that the API is exactly the same as well. I was actually looking at the API in terms of the Scottish in terms of crossover because yes distance if you can hit it straight is very valuable at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill but you don't want to be in that water and Although no. there's not like water lingering around at Hoylake, as you mentioned, six of the holes have OB and you could hit it into a gorse bush and you're done. <laughs> yeah. Again, you know, Tiger's not got a bad record at, at Bay Hill, is he? McElroy hasn't won there yet, but it tends to be near the. T- oh, he, he has won there, didn't he? He did win the API. He yeah. won it uh, 18 under uh, one year. Sergio's played well around there. So, yeah, I can see that. This is the point, isn't it? it it's, it's courses where you stray. A, a, a distance off of the short stuff, you've got real penalties. And I genuinely think that that is Hoylake. There is so much OB on six of the holes. And, you know, th- like I say, this this gap between fairway, rough, kind of semi-rough, two yards, two and a half yards, and then you're into this thick, ridiculously um, long uh, fescue, which can be really thick or you might get a break. But, you know, it's it's completely up there. It's just pure luck. What kind of lie you're going to get? So yeah, I, I genuinely think that accuracy, straightness of the tee, uh, and if you're long and straight, I think that's going to be a huge advantage. I genuinely do. It's funny to look at some of these players. Hatton is first in avoiding the left hand rough. He's not great at avoiding the okay. right hand rough, but he avoids the left. No. Very often, we like unfortunately, look the- I think I think three OB are right and three <laughs> OB are left. Uh, but anyway, you know. Yeah, and to look take, at take it that. some more, like Scheffler and Minwoo Lee are two of the bottom three when it comes to missing left. Now, this doesn't say how much they're li- missing by; it's just they happen to miss way more often. Scotty almost mm. never misses right; it's always a mess. Lit miss left when he misses. So it's interesting to look yep. at that. I wonder if there's anyone who's just really good at both. Yao Slouten is actually top ten in avoiding both. Very straight hitter. <laughs> Yeah, he's very straight. I'll give you, uh, Aaron, I'll give you that. Aaron Rye, Doug Gim, yeah. Eckroat, C.T. Pan, Shane Lowry is top 25 and not missing either way, just hitting a lot of fairways. Uh, Corey Connors is very good at that. Connors is interesting here because it doesn't yeah. feel like you need to be a great putter in order to win here. I worry about a short game, but it's not a... I kind of spoke about this and I might be completely wrong when it comes to Hovland, but I don't love Hovland at this style of open championship. Like St. Andrews is a great setup for him because he can just hit every green and regulation and two putt or one putt, whatever it might be. It feels like you need to have a modicum of scrambling ability at this course. And while he's getting better, I wouldn't call him the most creative guy alive. No, I think Corey Connors, I mean, his real advantage, isn't it? It's, 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 it's uh, long, it's longish and straight very very repetitive driving uh and clearly you know ball striking is world class and also as you say these greens they're they're not augusta they're although he's got a great record augusta but (laughs) they're flat they're going to be relative they're not going to be hugely speedy by the looks of it unless there's literally some kind of 35 degrees celsius heat wave that hits the uk yeah i could see connor's another player that i've got 
half an interest in potentially down the down the odds board would be someone like a Siwoo Kim who's been playing some absolutely fabulous stuff and he's been relatively straight of late as well. If I remember as well, he was in the top five heading into Sunday at St Andrews last year. So a little bit of sort of open championship form there. Won the Players' Championship. Good Augusta track record right. as well. Yeah. You don't need to talk... Yeah. You don't need to sell me on Siwoo Kim. Now, that's an easy no, one I know. for me. <laughs> I, unfortunately, we can't transport Bermuda grass greens onto the <laughs> golf course. They're, they're a mix of Ben and Poa and a bit of fescue. But yes, Siwoo does make logical sense, especially the way that he's been playing. Forget about the miscut of the Travelers. Prior to that, you know, some very, very good stuff. So it is Ben. It's a mix between Bent Poa and Fescue. So there's not one dominant type of grass on the greens. No, not from what not from what what I can glean over here. Um, they're they're basically saying yeah, it's it's a mixture of the three. So it's certainly not like we're seeing up in Scotland this week where it's pretty much all Fescue. It's it's a mix of the Bent, the Poana, and the Fescue. Look, looking at these past leaderboards, I know we talked about like the players. You mentioned API, PGA National. Those are pure Bermuda greens. So maybe that, although there is no Bermuda, when you combine three into one, it reads exactly the same. Difficulty, of course, as well, I think. Just just the fact that, you know, we know with Florida Swing, don't we? It's always gusting. It's pretty much always firm. I mean, PGA National over the years, they've had those greens up to ridiculous stint levels barely holding the ball when the wind's blowing. It's just that kind of tough, um, gnarly technical golf that just transmits itself well to a to a, a genuine open championship venue that's tricky off the tee. And, you know, very, very... This, this, this golf course is so flat, it actually used to be a, a horse racing course. It's pan flat. So the wind here just has a, an amazing amount of impact on play. There's, there's literally nowhere to hide from the wind. Which makes the Augusta crossover so much stranger. Yeah. Don't know about that one. Yeah. But it's, it's there. It's there. No, it's it, there. Like, yeah. I mean, it's very limited. As you said, Pat, may, maybe it's just the fact that good players play well at Augusta National. <laughs> And good players play well here. So take good players. I'm glad you watched 45 minutes of this. Take the good players. Yeah. You'll be good to go. <laughs> That's it. Let's put a can on it. Uh, any final thoughts before I let you out of here? Anything that you didn't reveal as of yet? Mm. I think my favorite so far, looking at uh, uh, just at the different angles and just the trends in terms of top 11s and some momentum in majors coming in, it 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 kind of screams Victor to me as well, Victor Hovland. Yeah, I, I just wore. I, we know. And he played. He played well. He played well at the Players this year. He's played really well at Bay Hill. It's just I gotta see him do. I mean, he's been close in these majors, but it feels like he peaked and now he's back on the downswing a little bit. Not that he can't win, obviously, but it felt like he had his chances and he missed his chances in a major championship this year. And now it's like Fowler's you, time or something. Would you have said the same about Cam Smith though? It's like twelve months ago. Yeah. His form coming into it had dipped. I think he had a top 10 the week before at the Scottish Open. I'd, 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 I'd like to see Victor do something reasonably well in Scotland rather than just fall off a cliff and miss the cut. But, you know, that straight, intelligent driving and long, 
the way that he can strategize himself around uh, around a major test. I mean, even when Oak Hill was firm for those first two rounds before the rain came in the afternoon, Victor was playing well, just navigating himself around. It it, it kind of feels Victorish to me. I can see it, but I'm not betting him, so I'm just going to believe in my Good mind on. that he can't handle this place. <laughs> that, that I have to sell myself on that. We we know that Jeff will 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 he'll have already bet him. That that's I, I take it that's I can't see any kind of world where he won't be on Victor to be fair for the Open. Yeah, I mean he's I mean, he might not say that he's on Victor, but I know he has secret Victor bets somewhere. <laughs> Just like secret. Hey, he yeah. he said he didn't have any money on Fowler when he won in Detroit, but like come on, we we all know he had money on. He bets on Ricky every week. Yeah, he's adamant he didn't. Yeah, but I I, I can't see that personally. No, I, I just I just my 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 take out on this would be beware of that fescue, beware of that out of bounds. For me, indiscriminate drivers are going to struggle around here. You want someone that's got seasonal long strong statistics driving wise, or if you're taking a total driving number, you need to see some kind of accuracy element to it rather than pure distance and no accuracy. I, th- I think that angle of missed distances, you know, people that miss big as opposed to people that miss in a small way, I think there could be something to look at. Maybe that's something you could look at in your research show, Pat. I just, I think, I think the emphasis off the tee, then creating the ability then to have, you know, um, decent opportunities with the approach play, I know for a fact that when you look at, uh, you know, this is hardly revolutionary, but you look at the greens and regulation numbers for both McElroy and the Woods, the outing before they won this, very, very high GIR on, on their previous outing on the way in. So that's that's something else to look at. I know it's not a particularly fantastic stat, but greens and regulation, someone that's hitting the ball and their ball striking heading into this is particularly strong. I think they're they're the kind of guys that are eventually going to be fighting it out well i will run a weighted distance plus accuracy model coming up in just a little bit but steve i wanted to give you the floor to tell everyone what's going on at golf betting system the golf betting system podcast which everyone should go subscribe to right now what you got in store for this week golf betting system podcast we have a research podcast that will come out on friday prior to tournament week we will then have all of our content, so our predictor models, our betting preview that Paul Williams, my colleagues, pulling together. We're going to put some long shots out there. Also, uh, the YouTube content that's available at the Golf, uh, Steve Bamford Golf YouTube channel. That's all going to be available on Monday of tournament week. And then there'll be various different uh, first round leader content and potentially extended market content as we go through the week. The actual Golf Betting System Tips podcast will be out Tuesday of Tournament Week. So that's all of our content, golfbettingsystem.co.uk. You can follow Steve on Twitter as well, at Bamford Golf. And I'll let him get out of here, get back into enjoying the rest of his day, back to his research. But I'm going to continue with the research on the Pat Mayo experience right now, digging in 
to that distance and accuracy model over at fantasynational.com. Once again, fantasynational.com slash mayo will get you 20% off full access to the site, regardless of the membership level that you're at. So let's take a look at it right now. And voila, there is the total driving adjusted model that I've created here on Fantasy National. Strokes gained off the tee weighted at 10%. Driving distance weighted at 40%. Fairways gained accuracy stats weighted at 50%. So, I mean, we can play around with those numbers any way that we want, uh, but we did see that accuracy did mean a little bit more than driving distance. I mean, we can go and take a look at that. I spoke about it with Steve, but we can dig into those stats a little bit more. Obviously, not everyone is in the field at the moment uh, based on the DraftKings Sportsbook odds. And once we get the full field, you can rerun the numbers. Not that big of a deal. Patrick Cantlay is the best in these numbers. Doesn't rate outside of the top 20 in anything. 18th in driving distance, 10th in fairways over the past 50 rounds. Uh, Scotty, Hovland, Woodland, Hatton, Straka is up there as well. Uh, more of fairways than distance, but still very good distance-wise relative to the rest of the field. This does go 132 players deep at the moment. We'll get that squeezed out to 156 once the final field is finalized, but that's interesting to see him up there. Lowry, Day, Finau, and Connors. Then we have Lee Hodges. Hurley Long is up there, albeit in four rounds. Uh, Fleetwood, Tom Kim, Gucci Man, Taylor Gooch, you know, prolific winner on the Live Tour. Taylor Moore, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Smith in only 28 rounds, but we can shrink this size down a little bit. Now that we know the parameters that we're dealing with. We can dig in a little bit longer into 24 rounds, 12 rounds, or we can just take a look at the rolling report, which will just give us the ranking that these guys have over the course of each of those ranges. Now that we know the stats that we're dealing with, uh, you can go in and look at each of the date ranges or round ranges by particular stat, be it fairways gained or driving distance gained or off the tee. But we can just get a progression. So we can start at the past 100 rounds where Scheffler is number one and Cantlay is number two. And then we can track their progression on the way down. So, I mean, past eight rounds, past four rounds, I suppose it could tell us who's hot and who's not. But like even in terms of, let's say, Scotty Scheffler, like what events has Scotty Scheffler actually played in? We played the Travelers and he played the U.S. Open. Okay. That's great. So two elevated event fields where certain other guys like Cameron Young, for example, in the past four rounds, he played the John Deere Classic. So he wasn't playing the cre the cream of the crop. Yeah, can you dig it? Cameron Young was not playing. We know he's a prolific driver. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But when you shrink the sample down too long and you're going to get jumbled information based on 12 rounds, based on 24 rounds, based on the field strength that a lot of these guys have played in. However, it is worth noting uh, and looking at like Bryson, for example, when we talk about his weighted rounds, we're basically only talking about major championships. So his past 12 rounds are four from the U.S. Open, four from the PGA Championship, two from the Masters, and his final two at the Open Championship. Pretty good Masters majors results in the past four uh, for Bryson. He's finished inside the top 10 twice, top 23 of the past four. So interesting to see. We kind of take a look at that. So if we go past 100 rounds, Scotty Cantlay, they were... 2-1, now they're 1-2 based on these. 
uh, from 100 rounds to 50 rounds. So long term, these are the best players uh, with these particular stats in the field. Rom, Hovland, Finau. Rom kind of falls out of favor a little bit as we go down the list. He gets progressively worse. So over the past 100, he's third. Past 50, 11th. Still elite. Past 24, 16th. Past 12, 32nd. We can recall him having serious, a serious case of the lefts, at least in the first round at the U.S. Open, which was uh, kind of concerning, considering I bet on him to win that tournament. That was not great. Uh, Hovland is fourth. Finau, Woodland, Rory uh, is seventh. And in the short term, he's number one in a lot of these stats. And of course, these do not con- include uh, any up-to-date stats for the, Sc- the Genesis Scottish Open, because as I'm recording this, the first round isn't even complete yet. So it'd be crazy to pump those in and try to guess what's going on. Fitzpatrick is interesting. He's ninth long-term in the short term, you know, 55th over the past 24, 71st. So he's been getting worse off the tee, um, especially in terms of accuracy. We can see that his, you know, over this rolling 12 months, his average driving distance is 309 yards. He's missing a ton of fairways. Uh, the driving accuracy is only 58% for him. And you can kind of see that reflected in his off the tee numbers. Was great at the Canadian Open. Was great at the Memorial off the tee. Two fantastic. 3.8 strokes gained, 4.1 strokes gained. But in the other three of his past five, he missed the cut at the PGA Championship, lost 1.2 strokes, lost 3.2 strokes at the U.S. Open, and then lost 1.7 at the Travelers and just did not really have anything going. Not quite certain how he finished up in round one at the Scottish, but worth noting to see if he can get his off the tee back in check because he was top 10. I mean, he did win a U.S. Open last year, but we saw the improvements that he had made incrementally off the tee to add that distance, but it seems like the accuracy has kind of gone down low, and that used to be such a key part of his game. Connors, Bryson, Keegan, Xander Schauffele, Neiman is still up there, and even in the short term, he remains inside the top 25, so it could be a fantastic, and always a very good hard course, firm course, wind player, Joaquin Neiman. He just keeps the ball so low that he is less affected by the wind than some of these ultra-high ball hitters like Rory or Jason Day. Homa, Dustin, Brooks, uh, when we go to the short term, Brooks you know, he's inside the top 20 long term, but past 12 rounds, past eight rounds, 10th, 6th. So, and that's all in major championships. So we know that he has the, the off the tee game to potentially get this done. Lowry, Sungjae, Grio long term is 20th. In the short term, he's 31st. So let's take a look at Grio because he has actually has a pretty decent open history. Take a look at the Open, although I show it's weird. He has okay, he has a checkered history at the Open. He either comes in 12th or he misses the cut, apparently, in six appearances. Has made the cut twice, has finished 12th in both those appearances, and missed the cut the other four times. Has won on tour already this year. So when I spoke with Bamford about the types of players that you're looking to target, Grio isn't the craziest play in the world. The approach was bad at John Deere, was bad at the U.S. Open, great at the Travelers, great at Memorial, great at the Charles Schwab, putted really well at the Charles Schwab, and overall his putting has actually been quite good, and historically just a very accurate hitter off the tee, and if distance isn't going to play as big of a factor as it does at other majors. I don't want to say that distance distance doesn't play a factor, because that would be lying. Of course, if you can, the longer you hit it, is great. You just don't want to be wayward uh, with any of those. Jordan Smith uh, remains up there. He's 22nd long-term off the tees, 25th, 53rd. I mean, these are in major championships as well. 50th past 12, but past 24, he remains in 15th. Justin Thomas, 21st long-term. Uh, got it going bad past 12 rounds, past eight rounds, but really rebounded in the last time that he played. I wouldn't count on him to hit it long and hit it straight, though. Wyndham Clark remains up there. Adam Scott, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day, Lee Hodges still 
inside of the lower end guys inside the top 30. Hatton inside the top 30 amongst all ranges as well. Spieth up there too. The lowest he dropped was 37th over the past 50 rounds, but progressively past 24, 17th, 6th past 12, 29th past 8, and we'll see how he ends up finishing at the Genesis Scottish Open. He was two over after his first round. Uh, the shout out was given to Siwoo Kim by Steve, and boom, you see Siwoo Kim continues to be up there with a lot of the numbers. Yannick Paul and Moronk in their limited samples uh, are inside the top 50 as well long-term. Daniel Hillier long-term is up there. Another recent winner on the European Tour, the Betfred British Masters. Seamus Power, who WD'd, by the way, uh, with an injury from the Scottish Open. Straka, Harmon, Ricky. Ricky gets a lot better the closer that we get to real time rather than long term. I think that kind of matches what we see in terms of results and what we see with our eye with how well that Ricky has been playing. Let's take a look at Siwoo's history here in terms of the Open. Probably shouldn't put a G in the Open when I type it in. The Open, 15th miscut, 67th in miscut. So not a great track record over in both England and Scotland. The Around the Green game has really gone to shit here for him recently. It's either fantastic and he's chipping everything. When he has a good Around the Green game, he finishes inside the top five. Second at the Byron Nelson when he gained. Fourth at the Memorial when he gained. But the ball striking has been fantastic. Don't lose seven, seven strokes putting, Siwoo. That wouldn't be great. But... Gaining on approach in each of his past seven, gaining off the tee. The last time he lost off the tee was the Farmers in three rounds at the South Course earlier this year. That's a pretty fantastic run, fantastic stretch of driving for Siwoo. And we just know that he is one of the more accurate players on the PGA Tour. So you can dig through the stats this way. So I think we revealed some guys from the bottom of the list uh, who be it let's see here uh, let's sort by past 24 and see if anyone else pops up we know you know the good drivers they kind of remain the same Corey connor's up there jordan smith continues to be up there from the european tour semi kawa although that's not in a lot of rounds hence why he's 400 to 1 to win this tournament same as hurley long also 400 to 1 to win this tournament you get your spieth dustin brooks ricky wyndham clark Arnos, Laurie Cantor, coming over from the live tour to play cuss buddy Laurie cantor lowry louis shankwin Yannick Paul, Moronk, Burns, again, Lee Hodges continues to kind of filter around. Tom Kim is, you know, slightly above average off the tee. But when we take a look at Tom Kim overall, you know, the approach play wasn't good at Rocket Mortgage, but it had been really good at the U.S. Open and the Travelers. And we do know, I mean, we can sort this out a little bit more when we take a look at his distance and his accuracy, that he's going to gain on the fairways. No problem with that. Lost to the field in gaining fairways once. Uh, sorry, twice this season, and it was at the Memorial and in Phoenix. And we were all betting him in Phoenix back then. But you can see that the driving distance is way down. But if that's okay at this tournament, we know that Tom Kim performed very well at the Scottish Open a year ago. Again, not sure how he's playing this year at the Scottish Open. We'll see what he ended up doing at the Open last year. It was T47 at the Open, gained a bunch. But we saw that St. Andrews was a pure driving distance course. When you could drive four of the greens, that's going to be the case. With Tom Kim, like he's gaining, not only is he gaining a like hitting an absurd amount of fairways, you can see, you know, he hits the ball straight 26% of the time, he hits it right to left. 26% of the time, plays a big left to right. A lot of the time, it's not a big left to right because he's still hitting fairways at a 61% accuracy. Uh, hitting fairways at you know a 66% clip, very good by PGA Tour standards, especially in a lot of the elevated fields that he's playing. And he's getting a lot on the fairway. I mean, not as much as he did at the players where he really just should have had a... How do you hit, gain that many strokes 
what what would happen to you at the players? I know that we were talking about the players, but now I need to take a look at Tom Kim. Like, what the hell happened to him at Sawgrass? Couldn't chip, couldn't putt, and his approaches were mid. Well, his putting was mid, his approach was mid, and he lost 1.3 strokes around the green, gained 4.2 off the tee. So maybe this could be a, a situation where Tom Kim can get it going back a little bit. I don't know if an outright like win is in the cards for him. I mean, his best performance, he does have one of those top 11 finishes at major championships. So that's good to see because he was eighth at the U.S. Open a month ago. But the results have been pretty middling, mainly because the putter has gone absolutely frigid. It seems to be rebounding a little bit. He's now no longer losing three strokes per turn. He gained at the U.S. Open, lost 1.6 at the Travelers, and only lost 0.5 in only two rounds because he missed the cut in Detroit. But that's actually a positive trend for his putting based on what you can see that it is here's a whole sea of red on tom kim's stuff right now so that's i think essentially what i want to do to take a look at uh what's going on. i mean overall t to green is most definitely is there a way that we can we can look at scoring relative to par we can look at the green type although that seems to be let's say these are difficult fairways to hit because they might be if there's a lot of roll to them if there's a lot of wind to them we know that they're far more narrow uh, than we see at a lot of courses so let's adjust that model and get out of the rolling report but now we've put on the difficulty of hitting fairways uh, to the max and we're going to get rid of that we're going to select a stat we're going to get rid of rolling report and we're going to go to past 24 rounds and try to take more of a look this way at things. Oh, good. We're still in the rolling report. Excellent news. We can go to the custom model, reload that. Our adjusted total driving is what I'm calling what we have made here. So hopefully this gives us a few different names to look at when we ratchet up the difficulty of hitting the fairway, who's a lot better. Cantley and Scheffler continue to be number one and number two. If I had zero faith, if, if I didn't have zero faith that Cantley was going to win, you know, he'd be a great bet. Like the stats look like he is at every major, and then he's an absolute no-show. Also, no first time I've bet Cantley this year. And of course, he's a no-show in round one in Scotland. Scotty, though, continues. I mean, he, it didn't seem like he was playing great uh, at in Scotland, but, you know, it's still Scotty. He'll find a way to be there by Sunday, even if it's just, you know, a backdoor top 10 or a backdoor top five is more likely what he's up to. But difficult, difficulty hitting fairways past 24 rounds. Cantley, Scheffler, Vic again. Jason Day, Davis Riley, who had a tremendous round one at the Scottish. Lowry, Fowler, Homa, Big, Dick, Vic, Perez, Le Frenchman is inside the top 10, as is Marcel Seam, because, you know, it's funny that his driving distance is up. Man, where are these tournaments from with Marcel Seam? I'm now curious to see it. Yeah, it goes back to 2015. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, just going backtracking on what he's doing just because he hasn't played a lot on the PGA Tour. Tom Kim uh, is up there. He's 11th in the modeling. Dietrich is 12th in the modeling. And these guys are more distance over accuracy. The best accuracy players, let's call them inside the top 30 of these guys who appear inside the top 20, that they're more accuracy-based than driving-based, can't lay. Vic is 32nd, so he's on the fringe. Day is 14th. Lowry is 17th. It's curious to see how far, you, I mean, you always want to check how far back some of these things go. So with Lowry, his goes back, in his 24 rounds goes back to the third round of the RBC Canadian Open from last year. So it's within the last year, his past 24 rounds, at difficult to hit fairways. And that's not always like the Masters this year. Two of the four rounds were difficult to hit fairways by what it's rated versus an average event on the PGA Tour. The other two rounds were not. They were probably average, so they aren't counted. So not every 
every round from every tournament ends up being the case. You can see that there is no open championship stuff from a year ago because, again, it was so easy to hit fairways last year. And this year, it's going to be a little bit of a different tale, as we mentioned. Tiger Woods hitting, you can just always kind of go back to that. Tiger Woods hitting iron off of every tee. Adam Scott, who's had a lot of success at this course, the fairways gained are way down, but the driving distance, top 10 on difficult to hit fairways off the tee, number four overall. I do want to take a look a little bit deeper at that 2014 Open, and we did mention the adjustments that have been made to the course over that period of time, but in terms of pure fairways gained on difficult to hit fairways over the past 24 rounds, we're looking at Henley, Morikawa, the Todd father, ZJ, okay, not probably not going to bet ZJ, Tom Kim, number five, Siwoo Kim, number six, Stenson, Putnam, Answer, Sharma, Lee Hodges, Cantlay, Yaust Lauten, Jason Day, Sungjae, Rose, Lowry, Richard, 90-year-old Richard Bland, someone named Zach Fisher, who is 1,000 to 1 to win this tournament, Connor Syme, who I know people played, I think, this week at the Scottish Open. Crazy stuff. Denny, Nick Taylor, Louis, Straka, Griot, Victor Perez. Victor Perez rates out really well on this. I wonder what Victor Perez has just been up to. I know he's been playing purely Euro Tour, but let's see here. Try to take a look at his Euro Tour stats. Missed the cut in Britain a few weeks ago. Team 18 in Germany at the BMW International. Missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Missed the cut in Holland. And he was you know, top 15 at the PGA Championship. Top 10 at the Italian Open, which is a more tight course when it comes to driving the ball. He won in Abu Dhabi earlier this year, so his recent results haven't been very good. But you still see that the high-end finishes are going to be there. I think it really depends on both how he plays this week and what we're looking at uh, in terms of his price point when it ends up coming out. He's currently 150-1 to to win the tournament. Uh, on DraftKings Sportsbook. When you take a look at Emiliano Grillo, he's 250 to 1 to win this tournament. So his pricing is likely to be a little bit more in the Seb Straka range than it is in the Grillo range. And frankly, it's really difficult to tell how good of a player Victor Perez actually is. We know he has the potential for high-end finishes, but you know, Grillo just did win on the PGA Tour. It's a better tour with much better players, even though it wasn't an elevated event or anything like that. Still, probably worth noting. Davis Riley's in the top 30. You have Hovland and Matsuyama, Chris Kirk, Daniel Hillier in his one round is popping up. Uh, but he... Daniel Hillier, we can take a little bit of a deeper dive into him because getting to know some of these Euros is going to be key. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit more with Ben Coley on tomorrow's show as we go player by player. We, we're probably not going to get to every single one of the European players, especially at the bottom end of the field, but you can see just immaculate form coming off of three straight missed cuts. He gets to Holland, he comes fifth, misses in Germany, and then comes T3 at the other at the BMW International in Germany, and then he wins. The Betfred British Masters ousted by Sir Nick Faldo on Sky Sports. That's a great run. T5, miscut, T3, first for a guy that, like, legit people don't know. Currently ranked 136th in the world. Uh, obviously, we don't have that much information on him based on his one round uh, in this. That's from the Open Championship in 2021, but it seems like he's rounding into form at the right time. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be doing that, then he's someone that you need to have on your radar, radar currently 200 to 1. So probably going to be a cheaper price than someone like, like I mentioned before, like someone like Victor Price. Maybe that won't end up being the case. Obviously, we have to react to the pricing when it comes out, and that can change the situation. I am shocked to see Scotty Scheffler is 46th in this. 
I just, I, I can't, I just can't believe how well he drives the ball. Uh, he's number one off the tee, tenth in distance, and forty sixth in fairways gained on difficult to hit fairways. That puts him at ranking number two overall. So you can just kind of see the different types of guys that are up there: Campillo, Adam Shank, Marcel Seem, Thirsty Lawrence, my guy, Finau, Thor Bjorn Olerson, Thunderbear, Hatton continues to rate out pretty well. Yannick Paul, the lost Paul brother. He's not in the boxing ring. He's on the links. So these are some of the guys from the back end of the field that I would be looking at, uh, especially with difficult to hit fairways. Now you want the rest of their game to jibe with everything that's going on. But I think that's the main research that I wanted to do for this was really dig in before we get into uh, what I talked about before and trying to take a look at what we want to see. um, Just kind of scroll through 2014 and figure out what was going on there. Ricky Fowler obviously came in second place that year. And we don't have strokes gain data from that year, but we do have some data. So we click on 2014, take a look at Hoylake. You can see the scoring relative to par. The first two rounds was difficult when Rory was running away with it. Then rounds three and four, average and easy uh, comparatively to all other courses on the PGA Tour. Then you have hitting fairways, average, difficult, average, average. It plays average too difficult. And if it's going to be even windier this year, Probably going to be a bit more of a challenge, uh, so we can try to figure it out. Let's see here. We don't have strokes gained, but we do have fairways gained, driving distance, and good drives gained, and greens and regulation. We don't have the left and right avoid numbers from that year. Golf tracking data has come a long way in a decade, as it turns out. So this is what I was talking about before with Steve. So you can see you have a slew of guys. The guys at the very top gained off the tee, except for Fowler, who is right around even in terms of distance for the week. But all of the top five guys gained. Leishman and Eduardo Malinari, Dodo, they ended up losing slightly in terms of accuracy. But the other guys, top five, they all gained. Charles, Dubesson, GMAC, Lowry, they all gained. Dustin dropped. Ryan Moore and Carlson gained. Scottish Gallagher put lost both in driving distance and fairways gained. And he lost in good drives gained and greens and regulation gained, which leads me to believe he probably chipped in and made a bunch of long putts. Uh, so you probably don't want to go back to Stephen Gallagher at something like this. Uh, David Howe, Francesco Molinari, Chris Kirk, and Keegan Bradley. These are all the guys inside the top 20, and they all gained in terms of hitting the fairways. Uh, and then you see down the list, like e- even when you get to most of the guys who made the cut, they were all earners in terms of accuracy. Most of the guys who missed the cut, they were not. Funny to see someone like Russell Henley just bleeding strokes in terms of accuracy while gaining it in terms of distance. Uh, it's just funny that the types of players that we know them as, how different potentially some of their games were nine years ago at the time. But like you're not hitting fairways, you're not going to have a good time at Hoylake, especially if it gets a lot windier, because as we talked about, there's gorse bushes everywhere. Like if you have a bad bounce, now maybe you can get lucky, miss the fairway and end up in a great lie. That happens, but we know on these link style courses, especially with pot bunkers and thick fescue and legit bushes that are around one bad bounce and you're making an eight and you're absolutely cooked for the entire day. So keeping it as safe as possible, giving yourself scoring opportunities because the part fours aren't super long and the ball is probably going to roll out if you can keep it in the fairway. Then if you're just dialed in from like 150 in, you're going to make a ton of birdies. You just have to protect those birdies. And sometimes that means not having potentially as many legit birdie opportunities from the middle of, like, okay, put it this way. Someone like Rory or Scheffler. If it means that you can hit a bunch of fairways, 
by getting it to 160 out or 150 out every time. Or you can have half the amount of fairways, but those other times you can get it to 100 yards out because of their distance. That's great and everything. But these guys are still so good from like 160 and in. It doesn't really make that big of a difference. If the trade-off is you might be making triple bogey because you can barely find your ball in the fescue and can try to advance it, maybe not even get it out, hit it into another bush. Like you protect against those big numbers and still give yourself ample opportunity. That's kind of what we're looking for here. Uh, and you can see in terms of greens and regulation, only one player inside the top 20 lost to the field in greens and regulation. That was Stephen Gallagher. And he was almost around break even, but you can see like Adam Scott hit a ton of greens and regulation. So Greens and regulation isn't a good stat. It's a storytelling stat, which is a bit of a problem, mainly because that's why you use your stroke scanned approach apps to see who's getting like closer to the pin or from proximity buckets because greens and regulation are weighted against the field. Yes, that's the way that we do it, but some courses are just inherently very easy to do it at. And when you're gaining against the field, field strength actually means a lot in those categories as well. So let's take a look at birdies and bogeys, uh, which greens and regulation falls under just to get a sense of how players are doing past 24 rounds. We can see opportunities gain. That's a fantasy national stat of 15 feet and in for birdie or better. Uh, so legit opportunities in terms of opportunities gain. No shocker, Scotty Scheffler's number one. Who's number two? Shane Lowry, Hideki, Cam Young, Tyrrell Atten, Xander, Sungjae, Spieth, Davis Riley, John Rom, Taylor Gooch. Justin Thomas is still up there, even with his poor play. Bogey's avoided, not great for Justin Thomas. Opportunities gained, very good for Justin Thomas. He just can't putt, so that's a problem. Kitayama, Morikawa, Connors, Hoagie, Bryson, the Raws. Raws from Frazier, Antoine Rosner. Fowler, Brian Harmon, uh, Nikolai Hoygaard is up there. Michael Kim is up there. Hovland and Rory just behind. Jordan Smith, man, Jordan Smith looks like a great play. I'm not going to lie to you. Um... But that means he's just going to absolutely implode when it comes down. How has Jordan Smith performed at the Open Championship? Patty Harrington up there as well over the past 24 rounds. I know people will like him just because people want to go to him. So we don't have a ton of Jordan Smith stuff. 47th at last year's Open Championship. Qualified again in 2018 and missed the cut. So not a lot of experience. Uh, did have a top 20 at the U.S. Open. Crushed it ball striking at LACC. Uh, lost around the green. Lost on the greens. Now, let's see. He missed the cut of the 2018 PGA Championship, gained off the tee on approach, gained a bunch off the tee on approach when he came ninth at the PGA Championship in 2017. So maybe, I mean, he's a very good Lynx player. It wouldn't be stunning now that we're getting a more Lynxy course than St. Andrews, which is kind of a bum and gouged wedge track at this point of time, now that everyone's distance is so much better. But no, that's interesting to look at. I wouldn't have expected him to pop up on so many of these names. Got to write his name down. Jordan Smith, first round leader? Question mark? Maybe. Find out on the final bet show Wednesday with Toe, Taggin, Tambo. Uh, but in terms of greens and regulation, where are we at? Birdies are better game, bogeys avoid. So I guess it's not underneath those numbers. Is it under fairways and greens? Probably is. That's probably what I should have looked at when I had it open anyway. And then there it is. Greens and regulation gained. Past 24 rounds, Scheffler, Rom, Finau, Xander, Rory, Morikawa, Connors, Woodland, Fowler, Straka, Michael Kim is another one who is up here. I think the only time he ever played in the Open was the year that he won the week before at the John Deere Classic. I could be wrong about that, but let's see. Yeah, he's played it once. He came 35th that year, and it was a nice run for Michael Kim for a while, and things have kind of gone the toilet here a little bit. Two of those, very strong field events, which this is going to be, so that, that's not helpful to us. He sucks in hard tournaments. Well, it's going to be a hard tournament. 
great. Thanks, thanks for nothing. The off the tee has been pretty good, though. For him, he does have two top tens in his past seven starts, and one was an elevated event at the Wells Fargo and then at Colonial, so a long course and a short course. Interesting to see. So gaining off the tee, gaining around the greens pretty steadily. The putter is either hot or cold. He's kind of trading plus two for minus three and plus two, minus two, plus two and a half, minus one and a half. So it can go either way with him on the greens right now, but the approach has been bad. It was bad at the Travelers, bad at the U.S. Open, and then it was slightly bad, and he did miss the cut at the John Deere Classic. So other guys who are up there, Tom Kim, Neiman, Zach Johnson, Cantley, Davis Riley again, Louie, Thorbjorn Olison, second mention of his name, Russell Henley, accuracy in greens and regulation, a lot like Colin Morikawa. Morikawa is sort of the advanced Russell Henley at this point. And you know, if Morikawa can putt, which we've seen him do on slow greens and in Florida, weirdly enough, as we talked about some of those comp courses, and maybe like uh, like we kind of joked with Steve, Poa plus Bent plus Fescue might just weirdly equal Bermuda in the way that the speeds go, or at least the way that people read the putts. Uh, it's really interesting to see. Another Yannick Paul mentioned only five weighted rounds in this and this is on difficult to hit fairways that number is still on by the way i can take that off and we can look at it but i think that's a important one to look at because we assume that these are going to be average too difficult uh so scheffler morikawa rom connor's rory and just neutral situations we take an easy average and hard uh guys that kind of pop up the list a little bit more once we have the easier to hit fairways on shank and denny mccarthy both in fleetwood all inside the top 15 henley and grio and hatton nikolai hoygaard once again in an and that is in 24 rounds, is up there. Stenson and Dustin, Hideki and Woodland, Cantley, Yannick Paul. That's now 14 rounds of data for him. Tom Kim, a lot of Tom Kim, a lot of Cameron Young, a lot of Keegan in this middle tier, along with Lee Hodges. Man, could you imagine backing Lee Hodges at the Open Championship? I mean, I'm probably going to end up doing it. Thank God he's missed the last two cuts. The approach play has been horrendous the past two <laughs> events at the Rocket Mortgage in the Travelers. was actually pretty good. Before that, how has he fared in majors? He was 55th at the PGA Championship. Is that the only one he's ever played in? Starting to look that way when we scroll. We played in the U.S. Open in 2020, missed the cut. That was in the COVID year when Bryson won at winged foot. Played in the U.S. Open, came 18th in 2020 as well. Were there two U.S. Opens that year? Now I'm all confused about what's going on. Yeah, he's played in three. So I could see it. It wouldn't be crazy, but the fact that the off-the-tee numbers have slipped the past two weeks isn't super encouraging when it comes to someone like Lee Hodges. And that's the walkthrough as we kind of did the individual player profiles in terms of their numbers. Of course, I'm going to talk about that more with Ben Coley as we go player by player and start making some cross-offs on our list. And that'll do it on the Pat Mayo Experience kickoff to Open Championship Week. Reminder, again, to smash the like, sub to the channel. That'll get you ballots into that draw for $2,000. Play in the Listener's League. That link is down in the description. It's filling quickly, so get yourself in. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo gets you for 20% off. And the way to get more ballots, this is all in the newsletter, by the way, which gets you 10 ballots into the draw if you sub to for free, down in the description. Go do that right now. But... Download, subscribe, rate, and review the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That is the big thing of the week, if you can do that for me, because we got nonstop shows up until tee-off on very early Thursday morning, if you are in North America or regular time, if you're over in Europe. But that will do it for me. We've got a ton of shows, like I mentioned, coming out, so stay tuned with us all week. I'm Pat Mayo, and I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience!
Friends!